encompass everything that we have need of. And God positions systems and positions his order in the earth. And in chapter 2, we find that he creates man from the dust of the ground and begins to form you and I, amen, in his image and begins to create, amen, the opportunity for fellowship between mankind. We find that God creates a law in Genesis chapter 3. He lets this man know that I have created all things perfectly and for your good as long as you do not partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We find that God has one rule. God has one law. He said, I want you to know that it's in my heart to fellowship with you. I want to come on a daily basis. I want to come without limitation. I want to have access to you. I want you to know that you, Adam, have access to me. I want you to know that there is free flow between you and I, that you can speak my name, and there I am. The Bible tells us that man walked with God every day in the cool of the day. I'd like to preach to you that God offers fellowship, but with fellowship, there was jurisdiction, there was law, there was parameters whereby man was created to serve God under authority. And God, we find, provides every need. We find in chapter 3 that man disobeys God. We find that man has made a poor choice, and from that choice there is consequence. And yet in the third chapter of Genesis, we find that not only was man created to love God and serve God, and God allowing man to have a choice, even though that man made the wrong choice, we find that God decides not to divorce mankind completely, but we find that he gives him rebuke, removes him from the garden, but gives him a promise. He promises him that I will redeem you. There is a seed that will come through a man, a, a man to a woman, and from that woman there will be a seed or a son that is born that will give victory or triumph over the serpent's head. He said there will be a day that a man, that serpent will bruise, a man, your son's heel, but that son will crush the serpent's head. And so from that promise, we find that God institutes a law or an invitation that allows them to have fellowship with him again through blood. It was there. They were naked and outside of the fellowship of God's grace and provision. It was there that God stepped in and intervenes and says that there's no way I'm going to let my children live in dishonor forever. Though I will not allow them to return back to the tree of life in this condition, I will clothe them with animal skins. And on that day, God instituted for the first time blood sacrifice. It was there that God instituted blood for sin. The only way to atone for man and sin is blood. The only way for there to be complete remission was blood had to be shed. It had to be the life for innocence. So we find that we learn that when Adam moved, biblically, we find that something happens when his position in God moved. When God moved him positionally away from the garden, that something happened in his condition. I preach today that your position in the church, it does matter because your position will affect your condition because the closer you are to God, the closer you are in worship, the closer you are involved in the workings of the kingdom of God, in that voice we find that your condition is also affected. The conditions of living in sinful despair placed Adam and his wife outside the garden and separated them from the tree of life. I preach today that they had access. I preach to you today that 
this first couple of scripture, they were granted something that you and I really would escape our own imagination. I don't believe that my human imagination has the ability to describe what it was like for, for Adam and Eve to literally fellowship God. Unadulterated God. No filter, just God. They literally looked into the eternal power of the almighty God. They were in fellowship with that God. But whenever they made the decision that somehow they were being mistreated and they decided that there was uh, something that they were missing in their life, and we know that Eve made a choice to partake of that fruit and, and to cross the law of God and to transgress against the nature of a holy God, we find that God in his holiness said, get out. It, it's, it's, it's the first time that we learn that God has now got a, 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 a side of him that we have never seen. He's the awesome God of creation, the awesome God of wonder. He's a tremendous God of power. We see that in chapter 1, but in chapter 3 we find that this loving God, this provision, this providing God, this creative God, now for the first time we find that he is now a God of judgment. That when that man and that woman, they transgress the, the nature of the father, they, 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 they transgress the, the nature and the will of the father, that God said, get out. In essence, he tells them, if you will reject my law, then you do not get to eat of my tree. He was telling them, if you're going to live on your own terms, if you're going to reject my law, then you don't get to eat my fruit. I'd like to preach to a generation today that, yes, you do have a will. You have a sovereign will. You have the will to choose whether you're going to live for God or you're going to live for yourself. But let it be known today, if you're not going to serve the Lord God according to his word and his will, you do not get to partake of his provision. And on that day, this notable day, access was denied. The access they had enjoyed was now no longer their privilege. And on that day, God made a lasting decision. He decided on that day that the man had, though he had failed him, and though man had, had discouraged him on that day, God did not divorce humanity but gave them that promise that there would be a day that they would overcome the effects of their bad choice. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 12, you find that over 2,000 years of man's day has already occurred. We find that God begins to use a man by the name of Abram. God had allowed generations and generations to go on, each generation wondering and hoping, shall this be the seed? Is this the promised child? Is this the one that will give us victory over our mistake? Is this the one that's going to help us recover the access that we lost from our forefathers? But we find that it was in Genesis 12 that God, hallelujah, began to use a man by the name of Abram. Abram was a faithful man, and God used a faithful man. God chose a faithful man to begin his regenerative work in the earth. God waited until Abraham 
The Bible said it was 75 years of age. 75 years old, God shows up to a man that had basically lived his life in the place called Ur, an accomplished man, an established man, and God waits to a particular season in his life that you and I, most of us, with a Western mentality, would think his life was about over at 75. However, we find that God found a man at the age of 75 that had faith, and God begins to speak to this man and tell him to begin to make certain life changes that he wanted to give him access by promise. He said, I want to let you know that I have now returned my faith to you. I've now returned my favor upon you. I want you to make certain choices today, Abram, that's going to position you for a greater blessing. I want you to know that humanity, you have a choice today. I want you to know, Abram, you have the power to choose life over death. You've got the power to choose once again that you can now find redemption and from this choice. We find that Abraham chose to get up out of his out of his uh, in his familiarity and from his company in his country and begins to pursue God based on a promise. And with this pursuit in heart, in his faith in his life, we find that Abraham, being moved by God, a man was brought to a place at around the age of 90 years old. God begins to speak to him about having a son. And at this place in time, he had not had a son. By the age of 99, nine years later, we find at the age of 99, God begins to speak to him one more time, begins to talk to him about this promise of a son. God literally waits until the factory has shut down in Abraham's life. He, let, he waits until all hope and power in his own self had already dissipated. We find that the Bible speaks of a man whose seed was dead, and yet God made it to live again. God gave him seed. The Bible says in Hebrews that God gave him seed, and God revived his loins to the point that God gave him such a lively anointing that it quickened the dead womb of his wife, Sarah, and it produced a seed named Isaac. And Isaac comes on the scene. Isaac, whose name simply means to laugh or to mock at doubt. And when Sarah has that baby, the Bible said that she laughed as well. I'd like to preach today that if you understand the chronological access that God gives to humanity, that we understand and worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There is no Jacob. Jacob is the, 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 the man that has 12 sons that turns into the nation of Israel. There is no Jacob until you laugh with with. Uh, the, the scripture teaches us that there is no laughter without Isaac. And I'd like to preach that in your walk with God, there is, if there's no joy in your walk with God, then there is no Israel. There's no plan. There's no, there's no grace. There's no anointing. There's no favor. I want you to know today that in your choices, you can find joy today. The apostle Paul said, I think myself happy. I think that sometimes we're as happy as we want to be. I wonder in this house today that if we could just take some inventory and I think that we can believe that, hey, maybe things aren't as bad as we thought they were because when I got in the presence of the Lord today, I just begin to get my mind off my trouble, get my mind on the things of God. I started remembering the promises of the Lord and I think today is better than it was when I got up this morning. And when I go home after church today, I surely know that the Lord is good to me. And my soul says, hallelujah, that there's an anointing that begins to operate in our heart, in our mind, because we're happy. It does us good to take some time, amen, in the transition of Abraham to Jacob that we just stop and laugh a moment because with joy, it gives you strength to take on another battle. With joy, it gives you the power to mock the fears and the doubts in your life. And from that, it produces a Jacob that turns into the mighty Israel. And we celebrate today that God is a God of promise. I preach all of this today 
because God is granting access by the choices of men that choose him above flesh, that choose him above trouble, that choose him above convenience. I'm I'm preaching to you men in the, the Bible that make choices, redemptive choices, that place them in the place of God's favor. From Jacob, there is a nation of God's people that is born, guided by divine providence. And we find that they exit, amen, from Egypt, 400 years of bondage based on a choice to serve God. With all of this said, from Abraham, we go to Moses. Moses reveals the tabernacle plans for worship and for atonement. But there is a curious element to the construction of the tabernacle. The Bible lets us know that in this construction, there was a curtain. A veil placed between the holy place and the holiest of holies. It is simply known in Scripture today, I read to you from the New King James, it was the curtain. The curtain was an intimidating partition stretching 60 feet high and 30 feet wide. The curtain was a constant reminder to those who worshiped that this is as far as you can go to any God-fearing Jew. They were allowed to go into the outer court. They were allowed to bring a a, a sacrifice of blood, but the Levitical ministry only went to the inner court. But now, once you got into the inner court, there was a partition, a curtain, if you will, that separated the holiest of holies from all other parts of the piece of worship known as the tabernacle. We knew that there was a curtain, if you will, that said, worship this way, and you can worship God with all your heart, but this is as far as, as you can go. If you will, to the Jewish worshiper, it would might as well have put a do not enter sign on the curtain because the Bible lets us know that only one time in one year was the high priest able to go behind that curtain and offer atonement for the sins of the nation. Only one man, one time per year could go behind this curtain. It was a tremendous visible statement of God. He said, I want you to know from Abram to Moses, men have begun recovering themselves by a choice. They've been finding themselves back into my favor because they have been operating under their human government. They've been operating by the choice of using their own faith. He said, but I want you to understand that with all of your choosing, with all of your ability, with all of your mentality, you can only go so far on your own because there is a curtain that is there that says stay out. Access has been denied. Adam, I still remember what you did to me so many years ago. I want you to know, Jewish worshiper, that I love you and you can serve me, but there's only so far that you can go. The Bible lets us know that that curtain hung there for over 1,500 years, letting the people of God know that this is as far as you can go. But the writer of Hebrews says that there was a day, hallelujah, when Calvary came, when Calvary shows up in the word of the Lord, Matthew begins to write with great excellence. He begins to talk about, amen, when Jesus climbed Golgotha's hill and stretched his arms wide. The Bible lets us know that when the spear of a Roman soldier pierced his side and blood and water flowed, at that moment, the Bible said Jesus cried with a loud voice and the veil in the temple, it was rent in twain. Therefore, Paul records in Hebrews 10, 21, our verse today, this is by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us 
through the curtain, Christ's body. He said, I want you to know, Paul said, here is our victory over religion. This is our victory over psychology. This is our victory over sin. He said, by a new and by a living way. I'd like to preach to somebody today that has any faith in your life, that I don't offer you tired religion today, but I preach to you a living gospel. I preach to you a better way. The Bible said it was a new way. It was a living way. And I preach today to the sinner. I preach to the guest and the visitor. I preach to the longtime believer that if you need a renewing in the Holy Ghost, if you need a connection with God today, I preach to you a new way. I preach to you a better way. I preach to you a living way. How? I preach it by the blood of Jesus, simply by the saving blood of the Lamb of Almighty God, Jesus, my go-between. Hallelujah. Somebody shout amen. The Bible lets us know in our text, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the curtain or the veil, Christ's body. The last four words I just mentioned in that text were explosive to the original readers. When they began to read the word of the Lord, they saw words, the curtain, Christ's body. What did 1,500 years of a curtain draped, holy of holies, communicate to the world? It communicated this. God is holy, we are sinful, and we are separated from God. Every time they came to church, can you imagine with me? Every time they came to church, they were reminded, you can come, but this is as far as you can come. You can bring your offering. As a matter of fact, the Bible lets you, they were expected to bring the shekel of the sanctuary. They were expected to bring the particulars of worship in favor of God. You can come, but you can only come so far. They did that for 1,500 years. And every time they saw the curtain, every time they saw the veil, they were reminded that God is holy, I am not, and we are separated. Every time they came to hear the voice of God, every time they came to worship, they may have heard the glory, but they did not feel the glory. There was always a void or there was a distance between God and man. And isn't this the problem? We know that God is good. We know that we are not. And sometimes we feel distant from God. Can I just preach today? Hallelujah, sometimes that is the problem. When we come to the house of the Lord, we know we should come to church. We know that we should do what we're supposed to do. We know what we should do. It's not a matter of knowing. But sometimes we serve God based on what we feel or we don't feel. And so what they begin to do is they begin to serve God based on feelings and not by fact. But the fact was they could not enter beyond the curtain. Hallelujah, we know that God is good. We know we're not and we feel distant from God. But Job cried in 932. He said, God is not immortal like me, so I cannot argue with him or take him to trial. If only there were a mediator that could bring us together, but there is none. The mediator can make God stop beating me, and I would no longer live in terror of his punishment. Then I could speak of him without fear, but I cannot do that in my own strength. Job in his great trial, he said, I just wish, hallelujah, 
hallelujah, in my lifetime that there was a mediator. I wish somehow between the distance between God and me, somebody could just be the, 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 the connection point that connects me from my valley to God's mountain. I just wish in my prayer time that somebody could step between me and God. If somebody could be a curtain, if you will, if somebody could be a connection point that was not a do not enter, but rather somebody could be a make a way. Somebody could be someone that made a connection. Bible tells us that Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2, 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Would Job, hallelujah, that first writer of the Bible, would Job had birthed out of prayer. Hallelujah, we find that Jesus came in answer to that prayer. The Bible says there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, the curtain, if you will, he was the veil. He was the curtain. He's the go-between. He said, you go as far as you can, Job. But when you get to your limit, there will be a curtain. There will be a man called Christ Jesus that will mediate for you. Can I preach to you today that oftentimes revival will elude us? Hallelujah. Because we are near glory. Hallelujah. There's a lot of people. Can I preach like I'm in Indiana right now? Hallelujah. There's, there are people that are comfortable with the curtain remaining there because if there is no curtain, there is no excuses. If there's a curtain there, Brother Keller, then that means it's always been there for 1,500 years. Let somebody else deal with the curtain because that's not my problem. But sometimes we get comfortable just getting near the curtain. But the Bible lets us know that that curtain has been removed by the power of the Calvary cross. I'd like to preach that you don't have to get near the glory. The glory wants to fill your life today. The miracle of our gospel today, what makes me shout, what makes me dance, what gives me victory over despair, what gives me joy in days of sadness, what makes me stand up straight and say praise the Lord. Why? Because there has been a removal of that which denied me before. Hallelujah. The invitation from the cross tabernacle was a shadow of things to come. The tabernacle was a shadow of heaven, if you will. And what was a shadow in the tabernacle was reality in Jesus. Can we come to terms on that today? That what was a shadow in the old was Jesus in the new. What was represented in the old tabernacle was reality in Christ. And the works of Christ and healing and miracles, they were holy. But Jesus had never revealed the most holy unto Calvary. Because the Bible says that the veil, it veiled the holiest of the holy. Hallelujah. Jesus he walked through Damascus streets. He walked through the streets of Capernaum, healing blind men and deaf ears and causing lame men to walk. He caused funerals to cease. He walked upon people and did all types of miracles. Somebody shout, that's holy. Oh, come on, somebody shout, that's holy. 
Jesus comes walking down the streets and lifting up men that couldn't walk. And he starts causing men that were dumb to speak again and cause men that could, could not see to see again. He begins to heal all manner of disease. The Bible gives you the liberty to fill in the blank. All manner of disease. If they have HIV, Jesus can heal them. If they have AIDS, Jesus can heal them. Cancer, Jesus can heal them. Leprosy, Jesus can heal them. I wish to God somebody shout, that's holy. Jesus did all types of holy work. He's healing and saving and delivering. He's casting out devils. He's doing holy works off the cross. But the Bible said he reserved his most holy work when he climbed the Calvary Hill. The Bible said that that curtain that separated the holiest of the holy from all of humanity, the Bible said in Matthew 27, 50, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost and behold the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom and the earth did quake and the rocks did rent in that moment that final action of God's holiness he let himself out of the box and holiness was available what does this mean for the Jews it meant no more barriers to God to the Jews that had been denied access, access has been granted. For you and I, we were never invited to the party in the first place. Most of us Gentile believers, hallelujah, had never been invited in the first place. The Jews had access. You and I gained invitation, hallelujah. And thirdly, and most importantly, no more separation, no more barriers, no more contradiction, no more excuses. Jesus said on that day, my holiest function is not that I healed cancer. The holiest work that I've done is not that I made a blind man see. My holiest grace has not been that I caused some man that had no legs to walk again. My holiest function is I removed every excuse you've got. Now I want you to know that access has been granted. You ought to thank God right now. Hallelujah, you ought to thank God that your mama can't keep you out. Your daddy can't keep you away. The governor can't keep you away. There's nobody that can dictate your response to God today. There's no excuse today. There's no contradiction. There's no barrier. There's no curtain today. Why? Jesus said my holiest function is that you know that you mean more to me than all the governments of the world. I want you to know, son of God, daughter of God, I want you to know that there's nothing that's between you and me. I want you to know that you've got access to the holy things of God. Somebody shout, that's holy. It's holy because God in his nature, I want you to know that my love exceeds your sin. Is that not what John the beloved wrote in his, in his epistle? He said that love covereth a multitude of sins. Jesus, I want you to know what makes me holy is not just my power. What makes me holy is my choice. I chose. 
I chose to lay on a cross. I chose to lay my life down. I chose to give you access. I chose to redeem you. I chose to remove the barrier. I made a choice for you. I chose for you. I loved you while you were yet a sinner. I, I made a handle boshata. I made a decision while you were still on drugs. I made a decision while you were still lying. I made a decision while you were still walking away from the things of God. I made a choice. Did I love you anyway? I made a choice that I will die so that you may live. Jesus, I want you to know there's no more curtain between us. I made a choice for you for a new and living way. I feel something new in this house. Hilombo Shata. I feel something new in this house. Somebody needs to make a better choice. Somebody needs to make a new choice. You've been living life your way long enough. Make a new choice. Make a better choice. Make a living choice. The Bible lets me we live and die by our choices. Make a better choice today. If you want to change your predicament in life, change your choices. It's as simple as making a better choice. He said, well, I've been living this way for a long time, preacher. I've been doing this for a long time. Make a better choice. The Bible said he made a choice for us. He decided for me. You don't have to sit there today and ponder, does God love me? He's already proved his love. He's already went to the cross. If you're looking for evidence today, I'll prove it. Hallelujah, there's a multitude of people in this house. This is Jesus found me. He found me on a bar stool. He found me in an alley. He found me somewhere broken. Jesus saved my soul. I'm here today because he first loved me. I'm not here today because I'm religious. I'm not here today because I'm pious. I'm not, I'm, I'm not here today because I never made a mistake. No, quite the contrary. I'm here because his grace, it preserved me. His grace sought me out. His grace lifted me higher. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. The grace of God is upon us today to choose a new and living way. Oh, somebody shout to the Lord right now. Help us, Lord. I feel the Holy Ghost. Let's, let's worship the Lord. Come on, let's magnify God. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. I feel a choice in this house. Jesus chose you. Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to redeem you. Hallelujah. Somebody shout the curtain. Oh, come on, somebody shout at the curtain. It's removed, folks. It's removed. It's removed. Ephesians chapter 2 says it like this. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. He's our peace who hath made both one, hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world because he was the God-man. He came between you and I. He laid it all on the line. He wants you and I both to know that there is no reason to not have life today in your soul. Can I preach to you today that at the same time that Jesus was pierced in his side six miles away from him while he was outside the city wall. Hallelujah. I feel like preaching right now. 
Well, they took him outside the city gates. Hallelujah, because, Brother Killer, if they had, if they had crucified him inside the city, hallelujah, his blood would have only been for the nation of Israel. But they took the Lamb of God outside the city. Hallelujah. So it, now it makes it legal for those that just are not of the tribes. Hallelujah of Israel. <laughs> if he had stayed inside Jerusalem, his blood would have only been for, hallelujah, Israel. But he went outside the city, six miles up on a hill. They crucified him there, allowing the blood to flow. Then it flows throughout the world to ages come. The Bible lets us know we are saved by the blood of Jesus. Somebody shout amen. At the same time, hallelujah, at the same time, hallelujah, that they begin to pierce those nails through his flesh. That is to say the curtain, hallelujah. The same time that Roman soldier, after six hours on a cross, decided to hasten the matter to begin to produce a hole in his side. Hallelujah. The Bible said at that exact moment, six miles away, off location, inside, amen, the erected house of the Lord, in that place where there was a, a visible symbol, hallelujah, of the flesh of God, the visible symbol of the veil, hallelujah, at that exact same moment, that what they did to Christ affected the natural. What they did to Christ on the cross, it affected the physical of the tabernacle. Hallelujah. So that's why all those folks that were religious on the inside, all those people that had cried crucify him. Hallelujah. They were standing there all smug in their spirit, nose up in the air, justifying why they were doing what they were doing. Hallelujah. That's why six miles away. Hallelujah. The Bible said what they did to Christ on the cross, it had physical effect in the location of the house of God. He wanted those Jews to know that what you do on earth, it affects heaven. That's why when you, saint of God, come to this altar and open up your mouth and cry out to Jesus, when you call on God in heaven, he works in the earth. I'll go a little further for you. That's why when you get in the baptismal tank and the man of God, amen, begins to call out the name of Jesus over you in baptism, that what he speaks on earth, God writes in heaven. Why? He wanted them to know that what you do to the body, it affects the natural. I want you to know this is not hocus pocus. This is not just some gathering of people that what you do in this house today, it affects heaven. And what heaven does today, it affects earth. That's why we have the power to bind and to loose. I loose in this house the liberty to worship God. I loosen this house to liberty to pursue heaven with all your heart. Oh, somebody shout out to God today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I've preached the majority of the sermon today about the flesh of Christ. I've preached to you about flesh, the flesh of Christ. I preach the greatest battle is our flesh. Because I can show you biblically, and I have today, that there is no barrier between you and God. But I, I've just been preaching long enough, Sister Keller. I've been doing this a little bit long enough to know that sometimes we can know that the curtain's down. But because I feel bad, and because I feel guilty over what I've done, we can erect a new curtain. 
even though the judge of all the earth has said, I love you. There's this element of our conscience that wants to judge us. And so I can sit here and preach with authority today under the anointing of the Holy Ghost and tell you that God loves you and that God has removed the curtain. And there's nothing that can keep you out of his presence, and that is absolutely biblically correct. But there's one more obstacle you've got to cross, and that's you. You've got to make sure your flesh is down. You got to make sure your curtain has been removed. You got to make sure your mask has been removed. You got to make sure that the thing that holds you in your seat, the thing that makes you want to sit on your hands, the thing that makes you want to close your mouth when everyone else is talking in tongues, the thing that makes you want to sit when everyone else runs, that thing called flesh. You've got to get victory over your flesh. Hallelujah. Musicians, if you would make your way coming to a close. One of the greatest evidences of hope from the cross is the torn flesh of Christ. The torn flesh of Christ is an abiding promise that access is granted. Every time you consider the sufferings of Christ, you consider the nail piercings, you consider the, the, the thrashings upon his back, the stripes that he took for our healing. Every time you look at the torn flesh of Christ, it represents that the access has been granted. Nowhere in Scripture, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Nowhere in Scripture, when he comes off that cross, does he heal himself. Nowhere in Scripture. We find that he comes off the cross and hides the wounds. As a matter of fact, my Bible tells me that when doubting Thomas, hallelujah, hallelujah, that missed the first arrangement, but when he has a second chance with the killer, the Bible says it was there that he put his hands in the nail prints of Jesus. He put his finger where the nails were. He put his hand, hallelujah, where the, where the spear had been. He handled and seen that the openings had never been closed. Jesus, I want you to know that this house is open for business. I want you to know that I'm not closing shop. I want you to know I went to the Calvary cross to send a message to hell, send a message to everybody that access has been granted. I love you, Adam, and I want you to go to heaven. I want you to go to heaven. He did not close up the shop. He did not heal himself. He wants it to be a constant reminder that every time you look in the scriptures, every time you see the torn flesh of Christ, it's the reminder of the promise that access has been granted. Would you stand to your feet today? Could you just raise your hands in this house? Could you just center your mind on the things of God? The cross is, if you will, a doorway. Every door has a hinge. At the cross, the Bible says that mercy and truth kissed and it purged iniquity. Death and life hinge in this house today. In the power of a choice made by the hearer, today the cross has been presented. Today the invitation has been made. If you're in this house today, you just want to be reminded of the hope that's in the cross. Say, preacher, I just want to feel the love of God one more time. 
I just want to be renewed in my spirit one more time. I just want to be reminded that I'm in his hands and not my own. I just want to know I'm under the umbrella of an almighty God. Whether you have the Holy Ghost today, whether you've never speak with tongues, as the Spirit of God gives the utterance, there is no assignment to any one particular group today. My Bible says that all are welcome at the cross. All are welcome in this altar. Death and life hinge in this house, and the door of life is open. I'm just asking somebody to make the choice with me today. Would you choose to walk to the open direction of your loving God? I promise you, if you'll step up here today in faith, if you can understand that there is no hindrance, there's no barrier, no obstacle so great to keep you. There's no addiction. There's no person. There's no dilemma. There's no spirit. There's no devil that can keep you in your seat today. I promise you today that there is hope to the hearer. In this house, I move you to make a decision. In this house, I preach you to a place of holiness. I preach you to a place where God can work today. Would you come? Would you come? This altar's open today. Would you join me in prayer? Would you simply come? Maybe take the hand of your neighbor beside you. Would you make a conscious choice that life is available? Hope is available. Joy is available. Strength is available. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for the anointing of the Holy Ghost that's in this house today. Would you come? Would you come believing for God to do something fresh? Hallelujah. As you're making your way to this altar, praise singers, you're welcome to start singing in just a moment. Let me tell you what I feel in the Holy Ghost. We're going to pray for some new people today. But I, I feel in my spirit there's a wave of God getting ready to hit this house. Because you've got to collectively know that the door is open. The door has been opened. The door has been opened. The Bible says that, that Jesus in Revelation said that, that I have opened a door that no man can shut. When you turn a corner spiritually, God will open a door that no devil, no man, no, no policy, no, no one can shut it. You need to know that revival is here. You need to know that revival is here in your life. Revival is in your family. Revival is getting ready to come to your school. Revival is getting ready to come to your workplace. Revival is getting ready to come. To, I'm in the Holy Ghost right now. I'm prophesying to you. Revival is coming to your family. Revival is coming to those that you love. Revival is coming to those that you're reaching for. Would you grab the hand of your neighbor right now? Would you lift up your voice and pray? Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus. Let the anointing of the Holy Ghost flow. Let the anointing of the Holy Ghost flow.
we're thankful for what God has done. Lift him up. Let's give a hand clap of praise to Jesus. Hallelujah. He's given us access to him. He has given us access to him. Amen. I'm very thankful for the word, the word of God that we have heard today. He is not just any way, but as scripture says, he is the living way, the living way. Amen. So very much to have you, thankful to have you here today. If you are a new friend with us, a new guest, meet us in the passage reception. And then everyone involved in volunteering, we are going to start our SALT meeting promptly at 1.30. So start start making your way at 1.15 if you want pizza, if you want to eat. Be here at 1.15. In fact, that's in a few minutes. So you may just want to stick around here. We will get started promptly. We'll see you in a few minutes. God bless you, and let's love God, and let's love one another.